Hey guys, welcome back to Physique Science Radio. I'm your host, Lane Norton, along with my co-host, Sohee Lee. Hi. And today we have a really cool uh, episode, I think. These are always, it's funny, these seem to always be the favorites, is uh, uh, we're doing a Q&A. So we're, we have taken some of your guys' questions, and uh, we're going to uh, answer as many of them as we can. we got over 50 questions on our Facebook, so uh, thank you guys very much for, for participating. Um Keep in mind, we can't get to everybody's. We wish we could. Um, a, a lot of them um, you can kind of find if you Google my name or Sohi's name plus your question. You may come up with some stuff. Um, we'll try to get to, to as many as we can, but uh, you know, obviously, we're not we're not going to get to everything. And, and uh, you know, some of them, if they're real general, like, "Hey, what should my macros be?" Um, we just we you know, that's such an involved question as to what that should be that we just it's impossible to cover in a, in a, in a radio show. So, um, but we will get to those who had specific questions that we really liked. And uh, we're going to start it off with uh, Graham Mueller, who asks, Lane, do you still recommend the four to six week bulk than two to three week cut protocol? If not, what nutrition strategy would you suggest for slowly adding lean mass? I've been reverse dieting for six weeks and maintaining at 200 to 250 grams of carbs. And he's wondering when a reverse diet should end and how to build after that. Uh, really good question. So for those who aren't familiar with what Graham's talking about, um, uh, about five years ago I had a video, I guess it's more than five years ago, about seven years ago I had a video series on bodybuilding.com where I talked about my off-seasons, how I do cyclical bulking and cutting, which may almost sound like, so I do four weeks in a surplus, two weeks in a deficit. That may almost sound like yo-yo dieting, but and it is to a certain extent, but when you when you cycle diet right, it can actually work to your advantage. Now, can that strategy be really effective? Yes, I think it can. But I think it really should be employed by people who are, one, uh, looking to put on more muscle and have already have a good metabolism. So if your metabolism is already like really cranking and you're not worried about recovering you know, or optimizing your metabolic rate, not that this is going to hurt your metabolic rate, but... Um, if you're not worried about that sort of thing, um, and your goal, your main goal is putting on as much muscle as possible, and also with the caveat that you want to limit fat gain a little bit, uh, then I think this cyclical bulking can be can be good for you. Um, but you know, somebody who's been maintaining their body weight on a really low amount of calories, who really just needs to recover their metabolic rate, I don't think this would be for you because the four to six weeks of the quote unquote bulk. Is not going to be a sufficient time for your for your metabolism to really get back into a into a normal a normal rate, and so I wouldn't recommend it in that case. Um, the other part of Graham's question: um, wh- How do you know when you're done with a reverse diet? That's really individual. Um, what I will tell you is, you know, if you're so, for example, when you're reversing and you're reco- if you're recovering from from a caloric restriction. You know, if you just if you had a good metabolism and you dieted down for 12 weeks and you lost 15 pounds and now you're going to reverse, you're not going to re- need to reverse super long, maybe 12 to 16 weeks, something like that. But if you've dieted and restricted yourself for years, you know, it it may take, you know, many months or even over a year to recover from that. Um, the the level of adaptation that you're going to incur is going to be proportional to the, the, the severity of the restriction and the duration of the restriction. And so how long a reverse should last is going to be really, really individual. And you really need to be honest with yourself about that. Um, I see people, I just had a gal 
uh, yesterday, um, she started when she started with me. She said, "Yes, I'm totally willing to take the time it takes to to work on you know improving my metabolic rate." And this is somebody who had literally been restricting themselves intermittently, severely for almost ten years. And I said, "Look, this is going to take years to get better." And they said, "Yeah, I'm totally willing to do that." Well, six months in, she's like, "I need to diet. I need to diet. I need to diet." Even though she really hasn't gained much weight, and she's really increased her her calories significantly. And I said, "Look, you know, I told you at the beginning, this is this is going to be a long process. You really have to be in for the long haul. And most people aren't willing to do that. They, you know, they see people starting to diet for shows and stuff, and they go, "Oh my God, I, I've got to do that." So, you really have to be honest with yourself about how long it's going to take. Um, now. How you build after that, um, you know, reverse dieting in and of itself isn't a bad way to work on gaining muscle because you are slowly adding calories in. So if you want to, if you want to ramp up the muscle building a little bit, if you want to, you know, increase the rate a little bit, then you just get more aggressive with your calorie increases. It's not, it's not like reverse diet is this. It only works for metabolic repair. And you're not going to gain any muscle. No, that's you're adding more calories in, and you, if you're you're improving performance in the gym, you can absolutely add muscle. So there's no reason you can't add muscle on a reverse. Yeah, and you know, I think that's a really good uh, question. I love this question, and I love that it was the first one that was asked in the on the Facebook page um, because you know I actually uh, I don't know if you know this, Lane, but you still get emails asking with people asking if you still uh, uh, advocate that method um, even sure. now. But I also think, especially for um, women, and I'm sure in many cases for a lot of men also, there is that pull to, well, Lane said I could bulk then cut, so I'm just going to keep bulking and cutting and bulking yeah. and cutting because I'm terrified of putting on any body fat. Um, and those people, you know, I have clients too who maybe they reverse diet for two weeks and then they email me, they say, okay, I'm ready for fat loss now. And I have to yeah. say, okay, um, you know, let's talk about your dieting history and let's talk about where you are now and how much further you have to go based on these circumstances. No, we're not going to cut right now for a long time. Um, and I think that um, it's, I think it takes a lot of maturity and a lot of um, objectivity to, to understand whether or not that is appropriate for you. So I'm glad this question was asked. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think that, you know, we have to, you have to understand that just because you recommend one method for one thing or one method for another thing, it doesn't mean that these other methods don't have validity. Everything is tools in your tool belt. It's just depending on what situation you are will depend on what kind of tool you use. Right. Okay. So, he, did you have a question that uh, you found interesting that you wanted to uh, that you wanted to answer? Yes. Uh, where did it go? Um, yes. Give me a second. <laughs> I just lost it. Um, By the way, we'd like to welcome a new sponsor during this time. Uh, <laughs> we, have, we have a new sponsor, uh, Icon Meals. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever checked them out, but go to IconMeals.com. They have really, really good pre-made foods, and uh, they can ship them wherever you are. I actually really like them when I travel, so I'll, I'll email, uh, I'll, I'll order some. They'll ship them to the hotel where I'm staying, and now if I've got a microwave, you know, I can warm these up. Now, is it... it is it going to be? I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's a it's a gourmet meal that you know is going to taste just as good as going to a restaurant or anything like that. It's not, but they taste really really good, and they're very convenient, and they can make custom meals to fit your macros. And every meal comes with the macronutrients on the side of the box. So I really recommend checking them out at iconmeals.com. Cool. I'll have to check them out. That sounds cool. All right, I found the question. <clears throat> um, this reader, um, I think the name is familiar. Kelly K. Fosberg. 
She says, my question on flexible dieting is, once a person has reached their desired weight loss, how long do you recommend they stay at flexible dieting for weight loss before implementing reverse dieting? So I think there are a number of, I think there are a couple of questions actually embedded in here. One is um, maybe the assumption that once you reverse diet, you're not flexible dieting anymore. Um, I do want to clarify. This is, these are big people. Yeah, misconceptions. <laughs> yeah, big misconceptions. Or I saw somebody call something the IAFYM diet. It's, it's not right. a diet. <laughs> right. And I think people get confused because it's called, you know, flexible dieting. And dieting in people's minds necessarily means, um, a lot of times, means that you're trying to lose, cut fat or, you know, drop weight. Um, in this case, flexible dieting just means the way that you eat on an everyday basis. Just, your, you know, what is your diet like? That's what that means. Um, and flexible dieting is not, doesn't have to be tied into a weight loss, um, you know, a caloric deficit or a caloric surplus necessarily. It's just the way that you eat. So you can, one, um, you can definitely cut and reverse diet using, implementing the flexible dieting approach. Again, all it's saying is that um, you know, most of your food choices are coming from whole minimally processed foods with a little bit um, coming from treats, things like ice cream and, and cookies and those things. So you can definitely flexible diet regardless of what your fitness goal may be, uh, regardless of whether you're trying to, you know, lean out or, or build muscle or what have you. Um, as far as how long do you stay down for weight loss before implementing reverse dieting, um... I don't have a problem. I mean, Lane, maybe you do it differently, but I don't have a problem kind of um, immediately reverse dieting people uh, once they hit their desired goal look or goal body fat percentage. Um, I know for me, when I was working with Paul Ravella uh, for my bikini prep last fall, I uh, we dieted down for my show, and then immediately afterward, we started reverse dieting. There was no... Uh, we weren't like, okay, let's stay at these low calories for four weeks and then we can start reverse dieting. We just immediately started adding calories back in. And I will say, um, because it was so controlled and so careful, I really, I haven't put on any weight. I'm actually maintaining stage weight right now, which uh, I find a little interesting. Um, but <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm eating 1,800 calories a day and I'm, I'm 5'2", 106 pounds. Um, so I think, you know, I'm in a really good place metabolically right now. So I, I see no problem with, with uh, switching immediately to reverse dieting. What about you, Lane? No, I agree. So it all depends on context. You know, if I've got somebody who, like, let's say they're getting ready for a show, we've got them ready for a show, and then they've got photo shoots for the next three weeks. Um, right. Typically, I'll still start them reverse dieting. It's just going to be really, really conservative. And I think the, the point to make out here is I always notice that people do the best with reverse dieting are people who... Like I get them ready for a show and they have like four or five shows after that and we start reversing them after their first show and so they're still in kind of that prep mindset and they're still like really, really controlled and really, really, um, uh, really disciplined with their with their calorie ad additions. It's not like, well, I went out for Saturday and right. you know I might have been over by 50 grams of carbs or whatever it is. Um, you know, they're still kind of really in that prep mindset. So even though they're adding calories, they're still kind of in that mindset. And I always find that typically, I don't want to say always, but a lot of times they'll actually either maintain or continue to lose body fat. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't have any problem with that, especially when I know they're going to be controlled about it. The people who tend to struggle with it are, you know, no matter, even if you diet down using flexible dieting and you diet and you do it the right way, you are going to be hungry. If you get lean enough, yes. you're 
your body is going to fight you very, very hard. And so reverse dieting out of a low body fat is very, very difficult. Um, you will want to eat. And so it, even dietary adherence, even in that aspect, can be very, very hard for some people. They'll want to overeat. Um, and what I always tell people is if you can fight through that first four to six weeks, yeah. you're going to really set yourself up for, for a good spot. Now, it depends on, again, I, like Lauren, um, who we had on the show last time, Lauren told me one time she had just been dieting for like half a year. And she's like, you know what? I, I understand I'm going to gain some more body fat, but I just I want to feel like back to normal faster and I'm okay with gaining some body fat so can we be more aggressive on the reverse I absolutely sure as long as you're making that conscious decision that you're okay with trading some body fat gain for you know getting back to normal a little bit faster that's fine but if somebody says hey I want absolutely minimal body fat gain then you have to understand well it's going to be slower additions and it's going to take a while before you 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 feel back to normal so those are the questions you have to ask yourself and what you know you're going to have to give something to get something Right. Yeah. And I do, I will emphasize that, like Ling said, the first four to six weeks tend to be the hardest. <laughs> and I yeah, think absolutely. that's the, you know, that's probably when you have the highest likelihood of gaining a lot of body fat because your hunger levels are, are they're a lot higher than they normally are. I was, I'm actually, I was actually a lot hungrier when I was first re reverse dieting than I was when I was prepping for my show, when I was dieting yep. down for my show, which yep, I mean, horrible. yeah. And I talked to Paul and I said, I don't know what's going on, but every night I feel like I ate nothing even though I just ate, you know, 16, 1500 calories. And he's like, well, you know, and he's, and his solution, I love, he just said, Hey, why don't, why don't you just check in with me twice a week and we'll, we'll be, you know, more aggressive with this reverse diet and it'll help. And, and you know, yeah. knowing that I, it, it, it helped me uh, stick it out and yeah, it wasn't the most fun or the easiest for the first few weeks, but now it's, it's effortless. It's, I'm at a really good place and I'm still lean. It's, it's a great place to be. Yeah. And for our coaches that listen to us, I mean, this is kind of a lesson too. Um, you have to be adaptable for your clients. Right. So I had a client who was reversing and she was consistently failing to, to meet her macronutrient goals. She was exceeding them by probably about 10 grams of fat a day and about 25 grams of carbs. And she was gaining, um, relatively quickly. And I said, look, instead of like beating you down and, tr and trying to say you have to hit these and have this negative um, association. Um, I want you to, I'm going to raise your calories. I'm going to get closer to what you've been hitting. And so at least we can, at least you'll start getting a win psychologically. You know, you can hit these numbers. So I raised, I didn't quite raise it up to where she was, but I raised it close enough that she could hit them. She started hitting them and boom, she completely leveled out. She, she did not have any problem after that. And it was just simply taking the stress off Feel it because what would happen was she would miss by a little bit and then go into screw it mode, you know. Right, and I yeah. didn't, I didn't want her doing that. So you have to be adaptable. It's, you know, I'm a pragmatist. A at the end of the day, we can have an idea of what the perfect reverse would be or what the perfect diet would be, but if somebody cannot stick to it, it's it's not worth a damn. So you got to be adaptable. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're going to take a quick break, guys. We'll be right back. I hope you're enjoying this Q and A episode of Physique Science Radio. Hey guys, Lane here. Well, you all know how much I love variety in my diet. I can't stand eating the same bland food every single day. That's why I love www.myoatmeal.com. It's an amazing website where you can go and customize oatmeal. I know, I know, I know. Why would I want to go customize oatmeal? I can eat it right out of the bag. Well, let me tell you why. 
MyOatmeal.com has 22 billion combinations of flavors and ingredients. You heard me right. 22 billion combinations. Whether you're picking out a pre-made blend or making your own customized blend, they have all kinds of flavors. Want red velvet cake? No problem. Snickerdoodle? You can make it happen. Butter rum? Oh yeah. Cheesecake? You can get it done. And you have all kinds of additives you can add. Apples, raisins, pears, nuts, all kinds of seeds. And you can sweeten it any way you want. Need to eat gluten-free? No problem. They've got it. The best part of it all? The macros are listed as you're customizing your blend. And they change depending on which ingredients you add. Eating a little bit lower carb? No problem. Choose ingredients that make your carb count lower. Need more protein? Add higher protein ingredients. You can customize your blend to make it almost any breakdown that you want. And the prices and macros change as you change your blend. So go on over to www.myoatmeal.com and check out some of the blends that have already been made or be adventurous and make your own. That's myoatmeal.com. Check it out, guys. Hey guys, one of the things that's always on my mind is how can I give back to the industry that has done so much for me? That's why we formed the BioLane Foundation. The BioLane Foundation is a philanthropic initiative to raise money for grad school level research that is going to contribute to the fitness industry. And 100% of all your donations will be paid out to students. If you'd like to donate, you can go to BioLane.com, click on the About tab, and click on BioLane Foundation, and you can put your donation in through there. Or, if you're a student and you'd like to apply for a grant, go to BioLane.com, click the About tab, BioLane Foundation, and you can find the applications online there. Thank you guys so much, and I'm looking forward to all the great research that comes from these donations. All right, guys, we're back on Physique Science Radio answering your questions. Uh, I've got a question from Daniel Hernandez, and this says, what about nutrient programming? For example, if you have a low-carb breakfast, you can really, quote-unquote, program your metabolism for the rest of the day, question mark. Um, So this comes out of the research on what's called metabolic flexibility, where they showed that if you have a low-carb, higher-fat breakfast, you burn more fat throughout the day. And my response to that is, well, duh. Um, anytime you eat carbohydrates, you are going to impair fat burning for a certain period of time. So if we extend out that logic, why do we ever eat carbohydrates at all? <laughs> okay? So here's the thing. I don't think that breakfast is a magic meal. Okay, if you let's let's reverse things. Okay, so you burn more fat throughout the day because you're having low carb breakfast, and then assuming assuming you know assuming you're having some carbs, I guess they're these people are having them later in the day. So when they measure fat burning, when the researchers measure fat burning throughout the day, because they started off low carb, there's greater fat burning. But my guess is if they measured fat fat burning at night when they're having more carbs uh, later in the day that fat burning is going to be suppressed. And then if you flip-flopped it, you wouldn't find any difference in overall fat loss throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so here's the thing. Uh, I, I don't doubt that you can, you can, if you eat a low-carb breakfast, that you will burn more fat throughout the day, but then you're going to store more at night. If you eat higher carbs at breakfast, you're going to burn less fat throughout the day, but you're going to burn more at night. The net is most likely going to be no different. Okay? Um, 
Now, what I would tell you is that I would recommend eating your carbohydrates around your activity. That is when you are going to be most, I don't want to say most able to assimilate them, but that is when uh, you're going to have the greatest nutrient partitioning effect from muscle tissue, uh, from GLUT4 upregulation in muscle cells. So if you train at night, by all means, have a greater uh, percentage of your carbohydrate intake at night. But if you train in the morning, don't eat super low carb just because, oh, I'm quote unquote programming my metabolism. Um, you know, use eat those carbohydrates when your best when your body best is able to uh, utilize them, and you know, go a little bit lower carb when you're having less activity. That just I think that's pretty pretty clear cut. Um, I would like you know. Now that being said, I would like to see. I would like to see these studies done and flip-flop, but like I said, my guess is when you actually look at actual fat loss, like actually measuring fat loss, you're not going to see any difference. Right. And actually, that reminds me, uh, it's kind of a parallel, I, I feel like, to the fasted cardio debate, whether or not it's better to do fasted or fed cardio. And you know, as we now know, there's no net difference at the end of the day. Exactly. Yeah, so he's talking about research that basically shows that if you do fasted cardio, if you measure fat oxidation from fat tissue from fasted cardio, yes, you burn greater percentage of calories from fat when you do fasted cardio. That's that's not up for debate. But what happens is because you burn more fat during your cardio, you burn less fat throughout the rest of the day. And if you eat before cardio, you burn less fat during cardio, but you burn more fat throughout the day. And thus, the net difference is zero. There's no difference in fat loss. So we have to get over this now, I'm not saying these studies are useless, but we have to keep in mind what our actual end goal is. Is your actual end goal to get greater fat oxidation throughout the day or is it to lose body fat? Because believe it or not, those are not the same question. So it's important to keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. And I like to say with, with um, you know, when to do, how to do and when to do cardio and how to partition your, your macronutrients and all these things, um, I – when I work with my clients and with a lot of other people, I say, well, here's what's considered optimal by or what science says is considered the best as we know it for now. But at the same time, if you feel like you have to bend over backwards to meet these recommendations, then don't do it because what's most important at the end of the day is that you're hitting your macronutrient numbers, that you're getting in your workouts. And if that means that you're maybe you're eating more carbs in the evening or something, then do that. And then over time, maybe you can slowly work toward what the recommended, you know, best, quote unquote, best approach is. But, um, you know, that's, I think that's secondary to adherence at the end of the day. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You have to keep in mind your hierarchy of what's important. Yes. Adherence and consistency, number one thing. Number one thing. Everything, if you're, if you're, if something else you're doing is causing you to uh, have less adherence, like, for example, if you're saying, well, I want to eat lower carbs early in the day to program my metabolism, but that's causing you to overeat later in the day, then it's not worth it. Right. It's not worth it because right. it's, it's negatively impacting your adherence. So th- these are all important things to keep in mind. You have to keep in mind the hierarchy of what's important. Right. And which actually leads to our next question uh, by Jacob Templer, who says, what's your hierarchy of important factors physique for physique or performance? Um, one, training and periodization. Two, hitting your macros, um, etc. What things would you list as top five? So I think uh, I think the order of importance actually maybe Lane can touch more on the performance section because I'm more phys- um, physique, aesthetic, goal focused. 
But um, my, in terms of important factors, for me, um, nutrition will always come first because, uh, one, you know, it's really easy to, uh, relatively speaking, it's much easier to not eat 200 calories than to burn it off through exercise. Um, and with just about everyone, I found that if you're not, if you're not adhering to your nutrition program, provided that your nutrition is, um, you know, a sound program, sound and a reasonable program, if you're not adhering to the program, you're not going to get the results that you want, regardless of how, how um, well you're nailing your workouts or how strong you're getting. Um, you have to be meeting your, your macros. And um, besides that, I think, you know, breaking it down even further, one, caloric intake is going to matter most. You know, total calories for the day. Yep. After that is your macronutrient breakdown. So, you know, of the total calories, how much of that is protein and um, carbs and fat, et cetera. And um, I think there was another question in the thread with someone asking, really, does it really matter, you know, if you hit your, if you hit your protein, does it really matter how you fill up your carb and fat macros? Um, I think for the most part, I would say that um, it doesn't really matter, although my preference is to um, a lot more carbs on days that you are training or lifting weights, um, and then and flipping that around on your days off from training. My reasoning is that from a, a lifestyle standpoint, I think that it's nice to have the differences in the, in the two days so that maybe on your days off, you can enjoy higher fat foods. You can have a whole avocado in your salad or something like that. Um, so nutrition comes first. After that, I would say uh, heavyweight training. And then, and then I don't know, uh, probably after that would be cardio. And by cardio, I mean uh, conditioning intervals, anaerobic uh, cardio. I don't prescribe steady state cardio and, and except for in very, very rare cases. And then besides that, and then at the bottom of the list, I don't know, way down I would probably put supplements. <laughs> Because yeah. they're great, but I think that... Nutrient timing and right. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I think that uh, meeting your macros and nailing your actual nutrition is way more important than spending hundreds of dollars on supplements. So, oh, no question. Yeah, right, and Matt, you know, I would say master your nutrition first and foremost before you spend all your time on supplements because I think a lot of people have it flip-flopped the other way around. Absolutely. Um, I'm probably going to shock a few people here. I have a PhD in nutrition. And I actually have kind of come back the other way on this over the last couple of years. I actually think training is more important than nutrition. Um, because just with nutrition, um, your body composition doesn't really change. I mean, it can ch Well, I'm sorry. You, you, can, you can lose body fat. Um, but you're not going to gain muscle just through your nutrition. You have to have the stimulus to change your body composition, and that's your training. I'm not saying nutrition is unimportant. That's not – people take – so, oh, Lane said training was so he said nutrition wasn't important. <laughs> no, no. Now we're fighting. Shut, shut up. You're 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 putting words in my mouth. But um you, you, I see so many people who worry about quote unquote programming their metabolism or you know nutrient timing or what supplements they're taking, but they don't even understand how to properly periodize their training programs. And to me, that's just mind-blowing. Or they don't even understand like Things, simple things like volume, like how much volume they're doing on, on lifting exercises. That is that is just mind-blowing to me that you can – that would be like the U.S. government spending uh, – in, in their military budget, uh, spending $100 billion on shovels for digging trenches 
uh, and putting all the research into that uh, when shovels, you know, we don't fight trench warfare anymore uh, and spending like 50 bucks on uh, satellites and, and thanks to uh, and our nuclear program, our space program, that sort of thing. Like you're, you're, you're spending money on the wrong thing. Like you're spending energy on the wrong thing. <laughs> right. um, it's not that, you know, our military still, we do need shovels. <laughs> they're, 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 those have applications, but there's a lot of other stuff we need a lot more. Um, and so I, I would say, you know, if you're not familiar with periodization, you need to learn about that. If you're not familiar with tracking your training volume, you need to learn about that. And then as far as nutrition goes, absolutely. Um, hitting your, cal your calorie level is number one, the most important thing. Dietary adherence is the most important thing. Um, I will, as far as carbs versus fats, I absolutely agree with you. I, I think that for a large part, it's just kind of personal preference once, once you get enough protein in. I, I haven't seen any data to suggest that exchanging carbs for fats when protein and calories are controlled, that there's any difference in body composition outcomes. All the research we have kind of suggests that there's not. Um, so, you know, if you like more fats, that's probably fine to have more fats and reduce your carbohydrates accordingly, or vice versa. Uh, I, I kind of like a balanced intake. So I, you know, I'm I'm 400 grams of carbs right now, but I'm 100 grams of fat too, um, and I'm 225 grams of protein. So it, now, if I you know, if I go over my fats, you know, if I go to 120 grams of fat, I don't, I don't say, oh my god, well, I still got to hit my carb intake. I reduce my carbs by a corresponding amount of calories. So, I'll drop my carbs to like, you know, 350, 355 in order to compensate for that extra fat. That you can do that. There's no rule against that, you know. And so, if you're having struggling hitting your macros, I, I can't. I see, and I see this too. People. They feel like if they don't hit their macros down to the gram, they're failing. And it's like, no, nobody hits their macros down to the gram. Like, and that's no. <laughs> even if you did, you're really not because food labels have like a 10 to 20 percent error within them. So focus on consistency. Don't don't stress about being perfect because there's perfection doesn't exist. So yeah, that that's an excellent question. And I think actually also, um, I feel like the hierarchy really depends on um not only the individual, but your gender, your training history, um, and all these things. Because someone like Lane, you know, he's, I don't know, he's twice my size, over twice my size, uh, easily. <laughs> and he lifts way more than I do. His training volume is way higher than mine. Um, so, and then, you know, me, I'm 106 pounds. So, for me, the difference of a few hundred calories is much, going to have, you know, much more effect True. on my diet than someone like Lane, who has a yes. lot more leeway to work with. So that counts too. Absolutely. And that's one of the purposes of reverse dieting is once you've reverse dieted, got your metabolism up into gear, you know, if you're maintaining your body weight at a thousand calories a day, if you're over by a hundred calories, that's going to make a much bigger difference than somebody who's maintaining on 2000 calories yeah. a day and you're over by a hundred calories. Like, so what I always find with people who have reverse dieted really got their metabolisms back in a good spot is they can go out and they can have guesstimated a meal and they don't gain five pounds, you know, they don't gain three, four pounds, that sort of thing. They, 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 they have very, very, they have much smaller fluctuations in weight. Right. Um, next question is from Daniel DeVita. Um, he had a question about DUP and there's a lot of questions about DUP. I'm going to answer those here in a second. Uh, well, kind of. Um, but he asked also, uh, what do I think about DNA or genetic testing and how they can so there's these these companies out there that say they can take your DNA 
um, look at the, the gene sequences and give you the perfect diet for your, for your DNA. Complete, in my opinion, complete crap. Okay? <laughs> yes, we can sequence your G DNA. Yes, we can find some things out about your, your, D your DNA and your genetics. And in 10 years, we, 10, 20 years, we probably will have the technology and the understanding to make recommendations based upon that. However, at this point, not scientists don't even agree on what certain DNA sequences mean, okay? Companies, they didn't just find out, they didn't just figure all this stuff out that the top scientists in the world haven't figured out, okay? So in my opinion, I would not spend your money on it. The only thing it might be useful for is if you find out that you have like some kind of severe genetic issue where, you know, maybe you have, you're deficient in like, let's say IRS one, okay, which is an insulin receptor. Well, in that case, you're probably going to want to go lower carb, okay. But you know, if it, just looking at certain sequences and 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 we don't even understand what certain polymorphisms mean. So I would I would not spend your money on that, mm -hmm. um, not yet anyway. Like I said, in in, in several years, we, we will probably have that technology. But right now, yes, we can sequence it. But in my opinion, and I think most scientists who work in genetics and work in nutrition will agree with me, we don't have the, the proper consensus and understanding of what the DNA sequencing actually means. Okay, so yes, we, we can get the information, but we don't know what to do with the information yet, essentially. Okay, getting a lot of questions about DUP, which is daily undulating periodization, and the... <laughs> The large scale problem I'm seeing is that people think DUP is a routine. They think it's a program. DUP is a training routine like flexible dieting is a diet. Okay? It is not. Flexible dieting is a way of eating. DUP is a system of programming. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of ways you can program with DUP. DUP stands for daily undulating periodization, okay? People think because I train, for example, squats three times a week that D, like, because I'm doing it for powerlifting. So I do squats, bench press, deadlift, and I center my programming around that. And so my squats, for example, when I was squatting three times a week, I might do 10, 8, 6 for my reps. One day is 10 reps, one day is 8 reps, one day is 6 reps. Or I might do 9, 7, 5. Or I might do... Uh, six four two, right? So, mm -hmm. the, what DUP means is that you change the rep schemes daily. Okay, linear periodization would be like, okay, I'm doing, I'm doing sets of fifteen for the next month, and then the month after that, I'm going to do sets of ten, and the month after that, I'm going to do sets of five. Okay, daily undulating periodization would be okay my first workout I'm doing a set of 10 and then the next time I train that exercise I'm gonna do a set of five and the next exercise I'm gonna next time I'm gonna do a different rep scheme okay so it's just adding increasing variety there the, and you can do it with any repetition scheme you could do 30 20 10 you can do 15 10 5 you can do 5 3 1 you can do 10 6 two like there's there's just an unlimited way you can implement this programming all it means is that you are undulating the repetition schemes it doesn't mean you have to i had somebody say well i can't do dup because i can't squat you you can do dup for concentration curls okay like it's <laughs> not it's not for any one particular right. exercise 
or they'll say it's just that most, a lot of power lifters use it because it's so effective. All right. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, you could do DUP for anything. You can do it for calf raises. All right. Um, so, and the, the other notion is because people see me train squat three times a week, they say, "Oh, well, I, I can't do, do DUP. I'm, I'm, I, there's no way I could squat three times a week." First off, yes, you could. You just have to train up to it. And, and second off, um, it doesn't mean you have to train three times a week. Okay, let's say I wanted a, a DUP undulation pattern of 10, 15, and 5 reps. All right? So I'm undulating between those three rep schemes. Let's say I was just training everything once a week, which I, I think is probably suboptimal for most people, unless you're like a, like a brand new beginner. Well, you could do week one sets of 15, week two sets of 10, week three sets of five. Mm -hmm. If you trained twice a week, you could do first week, early in the week, you do sets of, uh, sets of 15, later in the week, sets of 10, and then the first day of the next week, you do sets of five, and then the, the second day of the second week, you do sets of 15, you're going back through. So all you're doing, again, is undulating through the reps. It is not a set program. I will say it again. Mm -hmm. It is not a set <laughs> program. <laughs> okay? So... I highly recommend going and reading about it online. Uh, Dr. Zordos has a really good YouTube video on it. I have a YouTube video on periodization. Uh, I would suggest going and, and, and watching that. Um, but yeah, there's no there, – Mike, uh, Dr. Zordos always kind of pokes fun at this and, and says, you know, when he gives up and, 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 uh, and gives speeches, he's like, please do not ask me for the DUP. <laughs> I am not going to give you the right. DUP. There is no one DUP. Because <laughs> I guess people were emailing him after they saw I was working with him a few years ago, and they said, oh, I want the DUP program. And, and, and you know, yeah, that's that would be like somebody saying, I want the flexible diet. Well, the flexible diet is hitting your macros and eating whatever the hell you want, <laughs> you know, with certain parameters, okay? And right. DUP is not all that dissimilar. And I also remind, want to remind you guys that we do have uh, an episode with Dr. Mike Zordos all about DUP. And um, if you go back to episode four, we talk about DUP for an hour. Yeah, so, it's one of the most popular episodes. Yeah, oh, yeah. Highly recommend re listening to so, that episode. You'll learn a lot about it then. So you can go back to that one. Um, all right. Let's move on. Uh, Aliska asks, how to start cutting? What is the optimal, optimal, what is the optimal decrease in macros at the beginning? Ah, uh, man, this is such a loading question. I never uh, really know how to answer this in a, you know, in a one sentence answer because really with, as with most fitness questions, the answer is it depends, depends on the person, depends on your dieting history and, and, um, all these things. So in general, I would say for someone, let's say who, someone who has a really, really high body fat percentage, let's say, um, they are obese, you know, very, very high body fat percentage. I'm okay with having a little bit more, um, of a calorie cut in the beginning um, because, you know, their body weight is likely very high and they have a lot of wiggle room to work with. Um, for someone like me, I'm, you know, I, when I started working with Paul last summer, um, I, we started off my calories to, to diet at over 1500 calories a day, which I know sounds very low, but if you're, again, if you, I started out at 115 pounds, that's actually the very high end of dieting calories for someone my size. And um, we probably only decreased macros maybe three times during my whole 20-week prep. And, um, and when we did, we cut maybe 150 calories at a time. Protein stayed constant, and we really just dropped uh, carbs and fats. 
And um, that's, that's what worked. And that's what I, that's pretty much the same approach that I do with my clients as well. Um, so there really is no optimal decrease. I will say that um, with fat loss, you always want to be dieting on as high calories as possible while still making progress. Um, so, you know, no, 1,200 calories is not the magic number for anyone. Um, I think that's a very blanket statement. I don't know where that came from. I think it was the 80s or something. Um, and then everyone, you know, that number just kind of got stuck in everyone's heads. Uh, the, start, the starting number is going to be very different for different people. It also depends on where you are calorically now. So, you know, where has your calorie intake been? So if I have been eating, let's say, uh, you know, just as, as an example, not likely, but let's just say that I'm able to maintain my specific body weight at, I don't know, 2,500 calories, super, super high for someone, uh, my body weight right now, I'm 106 pounds. Then, no, I don't have to drop down to 1,500 to start dieting. I could probably drop down to, I don't know, 2,300 or 2,200 and start seeing progress because... 2,500 has been established as my maintenance calories. So that's the weight at which, that's the calorie intake at which I can maintain my body weight. And then from there, you know, relatively speaking, we can cut down uh, 150 or 200 or 300 calories and go from there. Yeah, I, I think, like, you, you hit it right at the beginning. You said it just depends. <laughs> so you guys, you guys have to understand that it depends on your goals. It depends on what time frame you want to lose the body fat, what your goals are, how aggressive you're willing to get. Okay, like so he said, yeah. you know, if I've got, if somebody wants to, is going to need to lose about a pound and a half a week to get to their goal for, if we're talking about stage, um, you know, then we need a, a caloric deficit in, in line with that. Um, and obviously we're not going to go lower than we need to, but it may have to be a little bit more aggressive than somebody who wants to lose one pound a week. Um, if somebody's just dieting for fat loss, doesn't really have an end goal in mind, um, then I really focus on sustainability. So I'm probably going to be a little bit less aggressive. So. Mm -hmm. But it's important, you know, I see some people, they'll say, well, I reversed my way up, so what I'm going to do is, is really slowly just decrease calories each week. I would not recommend that. No. Uh, reverse dieting works because you're adding in calories slow, and so the goal being your metabolism adapts and you don't, you don't gain much body weight. Um, if you do that on the way down, you're going to have the, you're gonna have the same effect except yes. in the opposite direction. You're going to lower calories. Like, for example, if you just cut – 50 calories out of your diet, I promise you, you will not lose significant body fat. <laughs> <laughs> so you need to, it needs to be enough of a, enough of a, a cut that you, your, your body responds, but you don't want to go so much that you're, you know, obviously you're, you're getting into, you know, kind of crash dieting. So you just need to be mindful and you need to be, um, you know, monitor things and adjust accordingly. Yeah, and this is when, and not that I'm plugging anyone specifically here, um, but I love, when, especially when I have a specific goal, aesthetic goal to work toward. For example, if I want to uh, compete in a bikini competition again, then I love um, outsourcing my program to another sure. coach, even though, even though I know what to do and I, even though I work with clients every day to help them reach their fat loss goals, I, when it comes to the self, um, it's a lot harder to be objective and uh, you, you know, you you let your emotions come into play, and every day you're like, oh my god, I'm not at enough of a deficit, and the next day you're like, oh my god, it's too much deficit. So you're, you know, yep. you're not consistent enough. So in those cases, if you have the financial luxury to do so, I would recommend outsourcing your program to another coach. Now, if you email Lane, uh, we can send you a list of recommended coaches. <laughs> and go off of that. Uh, just you know, if you're looking for a good coach who has you know your best interest in mind, we have a list of coaches. But um, I understand that it's not an option for many people, and in which case, um, 
you know, there is a little more work involved to do it on your own. But really, I would say, really, uh, especially with fat loss, be consistent and don't be too quick to change your program. And um, just trust the process. Yeah, and, and Sophie made a good point when she was talking about 1,500 calories and that that's what she did and people got fixated on that number. You, you have to be reasonable about this, okay? If I go out and I do the same training program that Michael Jordan did for 10 years, am I going to be Michael Jordan? No. If I go, if I go out and I do the same program that, uh, you know, let's take the probably the best natural bodybuilder in the world right now, Doug Miller did for 10 years, am I going to look like Doug Miller? No, I am not. If so, he goes and does what Aaron Stern did for 10 years. Is she going to look like Aaron Stern? I no, hope she so. Is I, not. Oh, God, I hope so. Ah. Oh, I love her. <laughs> <laughs> She's the well, best. Real <laughs> crush alert. Uh, um, no, so it's everybody has different genetics, different structure, different all these sorts of things. You have to find what is right for your body in, in terms of nutrition and training and all these sorts of things. And there are subtle nuances to that. So. Just, I think we have this, and, and Ben talked about this a lot. My the guy who coaches me for powerlifting, you know, Ben. Ben coaches me. Ben has never squatted over 500 pounds. Uh, he's a strong guy, but he's not. You know, and people go, "Well, how can you have him do your programming?" Because he knows what the hell he's talking about. Okay, um, because everybody has different genetics. You know, for Ben to make progress on his squat, he needs about 70,000 pounds of volume a week. I can get by with 50,000 pounds of volume. Uh, is that fair? Well, no, it's not fair, but that's a fact of life. There are certain things that aren't going to be fair. And I see, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but I see so many people kind of doing this woe is me and, you know, such and such can get lean and they don't have to die. You know what? Tough shit. Uh, I hate to say it, but, it you know, the, the, the fact of life is that um, life is fair because it's unfair for everybody. So everybody has something they deal with. So yeah. if you're, if you're one thing that's unfair in life is you have a little bit harder time losing body fat. Um, I'm sorry. You're, you're not deaf. You're not blind. You have a great life. You have lost both your legs. <laughs> Shut up. <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> Get after it. And it just, you know, you can still make progress. It just may take you longer. All right. You know, and that, and Ben like really had a good video where he talked about coming to grips with that. And, um, I just think not, not enough people can get to hear that. And I'm not being insensitive to, to people's problems. Um, I just think that people who have a tough time losing fat or gaining muscle just think it's like the end of the world. And it's really, I mean, on your list of things that are problems, like that's pretty far down there. Oh, yeah. Well, why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll hit a few more questions and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap this episode up. Thank you guys for listening to Physique Science Radio. You're listening to Physique Science Radio with Lane Norton and Sohee Lee. If you like what you hear and you'd like to learn more about us, read some of our articles, please visit my website at www.biolane.com and Sohee's website at soheefit.com. Thanks, guys. We appreciate you listening and hope to hear more from you in the future. Hey, guys. Many of you out there know I spend a lot of time bagging on bad coaches. And certainly, there's more than enough of those to go around. But a lot of times people ask me who I do recommend. Well, one person we can recommend wholeheartedly is Paul Ravella of Pro Physique. Paul has received more referrals from me over the last two years than any other coach, and with good reason. Paul is competent, professional, caring, and carries himself with a lot of integrity. If you hire Paul, you're going to be getting the very best at a great value. Paul is also one of my closest personal friends 
and I can say with absolute certainty I feel 100% comfortable with referring my closest friends and family to him because I've done that. Paul Ravella of ProPhysique.com. Check him out, guys. Hey, guys. You know me, and you know I love cooking up macro-friendly option meals. But sometimes when I'm always on the go, that's just not an option. So when I'm on the go or can't cook a meal, I love Quest Bars. You know I love protein and fiber, and these are packed with 20 grams of high-quality protein and super high in fiber. And it's easy to stay on target when you've got Quest Bars that you can bring with you anywhere. They're delicious compared to other bars that taste like bricks and leave you feeling gassy and bloated. So pick up a bar of Quest Bars today at questnutrition.com, GNC, and Vitamin Shop. Also, follow them on Instagram at questnutrition and youtube.com slash questnutrition for great recipe ideas to keep you on your goals but eating delicious. Hey guys, welcome back to Physique Science Radio. We have a few more questions to address. Unfortunately, we don't have the most time in the world. It's already been 45 minutes. Uh, what do you know? But uh, Lane did have one really good question that he wanted to address right now. Yeah, imagine us talking a lot. You know, <laughs> never imagine that, especially me. Um, I, I want to address this question from Matthew Noy um, because I've seen this a lot about um, time under tension. So people... It's a very popular uh, idea right now to go slower on your reps and use less weight. And, and so the, there's a study out there where they looked at people doing reps slower versus people doing reps faster, and they saw greater hypertrophy from the slow reps. And so everybody is jumping all over this and say, oh, you got to do your reps slow, time under tension is everything, et cetera, et cetera. Well, hold up, guys. Uh, this is why you need to actually read studies, okay? If you don't actually read the study and understand the study, don't just jump all over it like it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, okay? They were comparing the same weight with the same reps going fast versus going slow. Of course, they saw better hypertrophy. They were using very light weights. So if you're injured or you can't lift heavy for whatever reason, perhaps going slow to elicit greater metabolic byproduct accumulation is not a bad idea. Now, I would argue that you're better off doing blood flow restriction training, uh, which has a more powerful effect. But so, for example, let's look at time under tension. Let's take something. So my max squat is around 650 pounds. If I can do 405, I've done 405 for about for 21 reps before, okay? Going all out, not worrying about tempo. If I did really, really slow, like four, four, five second eccentric, and then, you know, slow concentric, you know, 10 seconds per rep, I might get six or seven reps, okay? All right, great, fantastic. You know what my total time under tension for that entire set would be if I just went to 21 reps like I did before? It'd probably be about the same. Okay, people don't people don't think about this sort of thing. All right, your muscles are still fatiguing. All right, so yes, each individual rep is slower time under tension. It's longer time under tension, but what you can do for the set for the entire set because time under tension is cumulative from rep to rep. Right. Okay, it's not like you just completely lose tension at the top or bottom of a rep. That's that's nonsense. Okay, so if I take a weight that I can do really slowly for five reps versus going fast and doing it for 15 reps, guess what? My total time under tension for that set's gonna be about the same, plus you get the benefit 
that you're going through the motion more times and that eccentric to concentric uh, stretch reflex may have possible benefits on hypertrophy. And actually there was a study done a while ago where they showed that fast eccentrics actually cause more muscle damage than slow eccentrics. Okay? So I'm not now I'm not saying that slow reps are completely useless. I think for people who have injuries, who can't train heavy, that may be a suitable training alternative because you can get similar hypertrophy, uh, you know, probably not quite as good, but similar hypertrophy as lifting really heavy. Um, but is it better? No, it's, in my opinion, not better. And I think that this is really a case of people misinterpreting research. If they took that same research and they said, okay, um, so they compared, let's say somebody could do 10 reps going really slow with a certain amount of weight. Instead of just having them compare 10 reps versus 10 reps going fast, let those people go to failure on that set. Let them get as many as they can, see 20, 25 reps, and see what the difference is. I bet there wouldn't be a difference in hypertrophy. Or let them use a weight that is, uh, that is their 10 rep max. That is what is, is the most they can do. So now they're using significantly more weight. I bet, again, you would see that the, the more weight was, was a little bit better. So I think that's a good question. And unfortunately, some people out there have, have kind of, in my opinion, really misinterpreted this data. And I'm not saying that they did it on purpose or anything like that. But, um, you know, this is why it's important to read studies and not just read abstracts and just regurgitate what the abstract says. And we have a lot of people out there who have no scientific background who kind of put themselves out there as being scientists. As my friend Jeremy Linicky says, you're not doing research, you're reading. There is a big difference, okay? There is no substitute for somebody who's actually been in a lab and actually been involved in research. And people are going to say, Lane, you're just being arrogant, you're tooting your own horn. Well, I would have said that too before I went to graduate school. It makes a difference. Um, and I also want to speak on the note of just hypertrophy in general. I, I don't think it's as um, streamlined as, oh, this one thing is going to help you build all this muscle. Um, actually, uh, Brand Schoenfield, I love this. He came, um, came out with a study uh, not too long ago that and he found that the, there are three factors that um, are required for you know, optimal muscular hypertrophy. Um, mechanical tension, metabolic stress, and muscle damage. And they all come into play. So I think it's really interesting because it speaks to the importance of smart training programming. You know, not just um, how you program, but as I like to say a lot of times, and you know, I found myself having this discussion with uh, uh, some of my clients some of the time, it's not just, just about smart programming, but also how much are you pushing yourself during the actual workouts. If I prescribe four sets of five squats, yeah, you can push yourself to your max or you can just, you know, you can just kind of go through your motions while you're chatting it up with your girlfriend. There's a big difference there um, in your effort. So smart programming and um, what you bring to the table, that also matters too. So I think if you're interested in reading more about um, hypertrophy, you should definitely check out that study by Brad. It's a really interesting one. Yeah, and also Brad very much showed that volume is a big determinant of hypertrophy yeah. as well. And uh, yeah, so people want to make it all about one thing. Like you said, like the, the time under tension training is, is, well, it's all about metabolic stress and metabolic byproduct accumulation. No, it's not. That is one component of hypertrophy, but tension is absolutely a component of hypertrophy. E eccentric 
Muscle damage is absolutely a component of hypertrophy, but actually the biggest predictor of hypertrophy is total volume. Now, I say that and people will go out, I'm going to do German volume training, 10 sets of 10. <laughs> um, you have to progress volume appropriately, okay? You need to walk it up slowly over time. If you try to jump in a program that has a drastic increase in volume, you will hurt yourself, okay? So walk it up slowly over time. Make It's kind of like dieting. You should diet on as many calories as you can. Volume is the same way in the reverse in that you should make progress strength and hypertrophy-wise on as little volume as you can because eventually you're going to have to walk it up. And if you've been training for one year and your squat volume is already 50,000 pounds, once you plateau on that, um, now you really got to get ridiculous and think about what you're going to have to do in 10 years to make progress. So walk it up slow but with the understanding that you will have to increase volume over time. Right. And again, I know we touched on this in our previous episode. Lane has a crazy amount of volume in his program, but he's also <laughs> been lifting for many, many, many years. So he's yeah. worked himself up to that point where he probably needs that much volume to see the kind of progress that he wants. Absolutely. I'm squatting four times a week. I, I bench press uh, double sessions twice a week with a third session. So I have five bench sessions a week. You know, it's I, I, I have built up to that over a decade, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that that's what it requires for me for, for me to make progress now. So I wouldn't recommend somebody who's training squat and bench once a week right now to jump into that. You know, if you're plateaued, if you just bump it up to twice a week or once every five days or four days, uh, you will see, you know, gains from that. So, you know, walk it up, progress volume appropriately. And, and Dr. Zoldos talked about that in uh, Physique Science Podcast number four. So please check that out. Right. Okay. So next question, I guess we should make this our last one in the interest of time. <clears throat> Wendy Pearson asks, uh, this is a diet-related question. If it fits your macros, gets a constant bad rap with people allowing poor food choices to enter their diet and classifying it as flexible dieting, um, isn't education on nutrition important and how do we relate this across the naysayers and those using the if it fits your macros method in an unhealthy pattern? So I think I liken this to someone seeing someone at the gym squatting with really bad form and then getting hurt and then saying, oh, squats are bad for you. No, well, squats exactly. are not, you know, perfect. <laughs> squats perfect. are not necessarily so bad for you. It's what you're doing is not, you know, not optimal. Um, but you're also squatting with bad form. That's not a real, you know, that's not a proper squat in the same way that, well, maybe you're not flexible dieting the way that you're supposed to. You're kind of abusing it, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, and... I will say, I don't think that, and I've seen this happen before, um, especially a lot last year. I think, I don't know when trolling became the norm, you know, trolling other people's uh, social media accounts and, and stuff, but I am very much of the mindset that um, I don't think that trolling someone, so if you think they're wrong about something, I don't think trolling them and going on their account and, and making them feel bad and making fun of them is actually going to help anyone or anything. No. Um, I think if anything, it makes you look really bad. So if you say, oh my God, that's not flexible dieting. You're an idiot. Ha ha ha. I'm not going to be like, oh, you're right. I am an idiot. You know, <laughs> I, just, I had no idea. I'm going to say, wow, well, that was not very nice. And, you know, yeah. now I'm more reluctant to listen to what you have to say. Um, if anything, I like to put a positive spin on it and say, okay, I know that there are people out there who are not doing this correctly, but I'm just going to make that much more of an effort to make sure that people know how to do it right. In the same way that, you know, maybe Lane, when he releases a squat video saying, this is what a proper squat looks like, then someone with bad squat form, they might stumble across it and they say, wow, I've been doing it wrong all along. And okay, now I can correct it. 
Um, and so I think it's uh, taking an open-minded approach and just um, being patient and understanding that, you know, there are going to be people who misinterpret just about everything and abuse just about everything. Um, and there's, you know, I don't think we should focus on them. I think we should focus on what we're doing right. Absolutely. I have had everything I've ever said misrepresented, misinterpreted to the nth degree. I mean, I've had people say, you know, Lane says you should never diet because you'll get metabolic damage. <sighs> Not what I'm saying. Or, you know, Lane said you have to reverse diet. Like, it's just, it blows my mind, you know, <laughs> uh, that I think people just read titles. I don't think they actually listen to what I'm saying. Um, just based on some of the questions I get every now and then, I'm like, did you even listen to what I said? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's really frustrating. Um, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right that, um, that, 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 that comparison you made to squatting is perfect. Um, just because you, you didn't do it correctly doesn't mean it's bad. I actually, uh, there was a girl on Instagram and, and she was saying about how flexible diet didn't work for her. And I wasn't trolling her, but I was I was just kind of I kind of wanted to logically leave it and I said, Well, why do you think it didn't work for you? And we were going through and I asked her, Well, were you tracking your fiber intake? She was like, No, I wasn't. And I'm like, So you were eating a lot of high sugar stuff and you weren't getting enough fiber, which fiber is thermogenic, but you but you thought the flexible dieting didn't work. And she's like, Oh yeah, I guess I didn't do it right. Mm-hmm. It's like, Well, yeah. <laughs> Well, and then the other one I always get, you know. So here's here's I'm gonna I'm gonna address this now. This is my favorite. No Olympia competitor has ever used flexible dieting. <laughs> really? No Olympia competitor ever knew what their protein carbon fat intake was. Wow, wow, that's uh, can, that's quite I can a feat. Name then a handful um, just off the top of my head. Yeah, pretty pretty sure that a lot of them knew what their protein <laughs> carbon fat was. Pretty sure I saw Ronnie eating French fries and ketchup. You know what I'm saying? Barbecue sauce. <laughs> So, yeah, you, uh, yeah, you're full of it. You know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so then I'll, I'll kind of, you know, let's let's go down that logic, okay? There, some of the most shredded people in the world I've ever seen. Just go look up Alberto Nunez, all right? Because mm-hmm. science science obviously doesn't matter to these people. So I'll, I'll use bro logic, yeah. all right? Um, Alberto Nunez, uh, Brian Whitaker. You know, I feel like I've gotten in pretty good shape. Paul Ravella. These guys all get in just as lean as IFBB pros, and I would argue that Alberto and Brian get leaner, okay? They all pra- they all practice flexible dieting. Now, are you saying then that somehow Ill- illicit anabolics and fat loss agents make it more difficult to lose body fat then? Is that what you're saying? Because if IFBB pro bodybuilders... Uh, you know, they don't use it. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So I, I think that, um, yeah. So to answer your, your, your question, Wendy, (laughs) I think that you can only do so much to educate people. I think that those convinced against their will are of the same opinion still. Okay. And some people I had, I can't tell you how many people I've had email me and say, I used to talk badly about your methods and until I got to the point where I was so sick of the yo-yo dieting and so mm-hmm. sick of massive weight regain and so sick of binge eating and all this stuff until I tried it. And oh my God, it's been a lifesaver. Right. And um, I even had a coach, funny enough, I'm not going to name this person's name, 
who disparaged me online. Um, did, they probably didn't think I saw it, but I seen it. <laughs> and uh, talked talked really. We see everything. All right, trust everywhere. me. If you say if you, I get five hundred things every week sent to me about. Did you see what somebody said about you? So don't if you put something in the corner of the internet and, th- and think that it doesn't get back to somebody else, it does. Right. Okay. So this person was disparaging me about using flexible dieting, and I'm an idiot, and et cetera, et cetera. They sent me an email a couple weeks ago and said, um, you know, I, I really, I'm really tired of regaining all this weight after my shows. Um, can you please help me, uh, look, you know, use flexible dieting to live a more sustainable lifestyle? And it's like people are some people are just so resistant to tr- to change mm-hmm. that they fight it regardless of whether or not it's good for them. So I think it's important, Wendy, to, to, to give people information, but also not getting to the point where you're beating your head against a wall, okay? If you give them, give them the information, if they're willing to hear it, great. If they're not willing to hear it, don't waste your time. Right, and I think that, um, actually, Ryan Doris, who uh, randomly, why is he in Singapore? I don't know. Anyway. I can um, tell you exactly what. You want to know what he's told me? What is he doing? I have the text message. Hang on, let me. Let me pull it up on my phone. That was so, I'm like, what are so you he doing? Says, he says, I said, dude, why the hell are you going to Singapore? And he goes, oh, I was just randomly thinking about what the f- longest flight in the, in the world was one night. And I Googled it and it's Singapore. So I figured, screw it. Let's go. So he just packed up and went. So he just literally just on a whim booked a flight to Singapore. <laughs> That's so funny. And then had a huge mashup. Like a bunch of people met in there. Yeah, went to I a, saw um, that. So funny. Man. Of course he would do that. Only he can do that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> back to the point. Um, he posted on his Facebook, I think it was maybe two weeks ago or three weeks ago, he said, whenever I get frustrated with, with what someone else is doing, I remember that it's really none of my business. <laughs> Which yeah. I think is so on point because, I mean, I find myself getting frustrated with other people all the time. Then I remember, okay, well, that's your problem and maybe you're not doing it the right way. But if you're not ready to listen, if you're not willing to listen to what I have to say, then it's not, that's not my business. And yeah, I think, you know, yeah. And if you're not doing it correctly, then eventually you're going to come to a point where, um, maybe you crash and burn or you get to a point where you're so burnt out. And then, and then that's when you turn around and you say, okay, I need help. And then that's when they can come to you and you can say, okay, here's how to do it right. Yeah. Um, well, the, the, the biggest problem I have is it's not with that, but it's people who feel the need to then post BS about flexible dieting or, or, or make it out to be something it's not, or you know, who spread misinformation, who lead other people. You know, it's, if you want to, if you want to be ignorant, that's cool. That's your right. You have a right to be ignorant. But if you want to lead other people down the path of ignorance, then I have a problem with it. Yeah. Um, and especially these people who have no nutrition education, no background, they've never done anything, and they promote themselves as nutrition experts. It's extremely frustrating. But you're right. As far as flexible dieting goes, I, I like what. Dr. Jeremy Linicky says when he talks about blood flow restriction, which blood flow restriction is Jeremy loves it. That's his research. He says at the beginning of his experiments, I or he says at the beginning of his presentations, I do not care if you do blood flow restriction. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. Okay? If you want to do it, great. If you don't want to do it, then for the love of God, don't do it. I don't care. But I'm just going to give you the science. Right. Okay. That's how I feel. If you want to do flexible dieting, great. If you don't want to do it, great. But don't spread misinformation and nonsense. That's what ticks me off. Exactly. 
Boy, did I just go on a rant on our Q&A for the last half bit. hour? I feel like I did. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> All well, right. I hope you guys enjoyed yeah. this episode of uh, Q. Oh, did you have anything to add, Sohi? No, no, I think that about wraps it up. I think, um, I know, I mean, I kind of knew this would happen. We only get to a fraction of the questions that were actually asked. So I'm really sorry, guys. I know there are lots more questions, but we only had so much time. And we talk a lot, so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> There's that. But I think a lot of the questions uh, crossed over, so I think people will get yes. a lot out of it. So we really appreciate you guys, um, you know, interacting. Well, I think we'll definitely do this again as long as this is a popular episode. So we hope you guys enjoyed it. You've listened to the Q&A episode of Physique Science Radio and uh, we're looking forward to a great 2015. Take care guys. We'll see you next time. Bye guys. <laughs>